Welcome back, fantastic friends and fans, to the fourth episode of the FanCast at Four podcast. My name is Dan Bettenhausen, and I'm your host as we venture into the what-ifs of Marvel's first family will soon be appearing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. With Spider-Man director John Watts set to direct the Fantastic Four, rumors and speculation are flying around as to who will be playing the comic book royalty. But what if a different director was behind the camera, and who might they cast? That is what we hope to explore in this podcast. If you are new to the podcast and want to hear a brief history of the Fantastic Four, you can check out our first episode, where guest and show producer Pat Olfamonte provides a breakdown of each of the characters. With that said, let's dive right in and meet this episode's guest. This week, I'm excited to have my friend Kaylee Vaughn on the episode. Kaylee, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Dan. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, before we get into who the director is, if you wouldn't mind just sharing with the listeners a little bit about yourself, what what you love about movies, why you wanted to be on the podcast. Let's uh let's hear the Kaylee bio. Yeah. So I am a South Carolina girl, uh, lived here my entire life, and I am a history nut, I am an art nut, and I am actually a curator at a small museum here in South Carolina. Uh, I love movies. I've I've loved movies my entire life. Um and I like I love musicals are probably my favorite type of movies and I Hell love yeah. old classic movies as well. So what what's the museum uh focused on? Is it like South Carolina history? Is it something more specific, more niche? What uh what are you curating? So I I actually work at a museum in the low country, so the 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 southern part of South Carolina. And uh, our, our exhibitions focus on, like I said, just the history and the culture and art of that region. Awesome. Well, if you're ever passing through the lower part of South Carolina, be sure to stop at Kaylee's Museum and check it out. Yes, it's actually the Morris Center for Low Country Heritage. Perfect. You've got the name now, if you need to ever want to Google go. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Kaylee, before we dive into our pitches, it's probably important that we know who the director is, wouldn't you say? Yes, <laughs> So <Definitely. laughs> for this week, the director we're discussing has 10 feature length directorial credits in their fil- filmography, one best picture nomination at the Oscars, one best director nom, three best original screenplay noms, two best animated feature noms. He's probably best known for his distinct, quirky, fantastical, even dry humored films. This week, we are featuring Wes Anderson. Kaylee, what about Wes Anderson made you want to be on this episode? Well, it's actually exciting because when I first heard the first episode of your podcast, I kept on thinking, you know what? Wes Anderson would be a good candidate for this because uh, it was the first thing that popped into my head was his name. And I think I had just finished watching uh, The French Dispatch. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to you because I was, you know, just interested because that's what I thought. And then, you know, of course, whenever you sent me the list, of course, his name was on there. But I just like, if you ever thought of an a, a director and see their take on a comic book movie, I just thought that it would be interesting to see what Wes Anderson's would be. 100%. For me, Wes Anderson is very hit or miss. I love wholeheartedly the movies I love. And some of his others that I don't really could care less if I see again, to be quite honest with you. But you can't say the man doesn't have a distinct style, and I give him credit for sticking to it. Uh, there are a lot of directors out there who do a lot of cookie cutter. You couldn't tell one from the next. But when you're watching a Wes Anderson movie, you know it's a Wes Anderson movie. And Wes Anderson being Wes Anderson, I think it's important to share what those films are that we both love. 
I'm very interested to see if there's any crossover. My guess is there's probably a little bit, but now getting into our four fantastic film segment, Kaylee, I'm curious what your four fantastic Wes Anderson films are. I actually, I feel like I'm in the same boat as you as far as like, you either love some of his films or you don't like any of the other ones. So the four I picked are, my favorite would probably have to be The Great, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. That's the one I definitely have rewatched the most. Um, Moonrise Kingdom is probably my, Moonrise Kingdom and French Dispatch are probably like tied, but I haven't really seen French Dispatch, French Dispatch enough to really kind of make a a definitive answer whether or not I like it more. I feel like it could probably jump up into that top tier for me. Um, and I mean, honestly, the the one that kind of got me onto the the path of Wes Anderson would be the Royal Tenenbaums. It's the first movie of his I saw. Um, I was in high school when I saw it, and and I remember it having an impact on me. And I went back and watched his other films, but it's definitely those are the four that I've rewatched the most. Um, minus the French Dispatch, but I tell you what, in theaters, I was the only person in that theater, and I laughed so hard at that film. It was hilarious. I thought it was one of the funniest movies I'd ever seen. So I I was correct. We did have some crossover. Uh, Looking at my four favorite films, three of the four you mentioned are on my list. Uh, Coming at number four is the French Dispatch. To be quite honest, I was, as much as I loved it, I was still felt a little let down by it. I don't think it was quite as strong as some of his re, uh, more pre- recent um, films, but I still thought the the short form storytelling, the kind of vignettes that we got and how it all tied together in the end was still really great. There were a lot of strong pieces in there, even if together they didn't all quite work for me. Um, but I, as also a journalism major, I love seeing stories about newspapers, whether they're something like Spotlight that's a little more grounded in the real world, or something, again, like the French Dispatch that's a little more fantastical. Uh, it really did hit or scratch an itch that I had, uh, even if I'm still left a little, little itchy. <laughs> My third favorite uh, might actually be, or is, The Isle of Dogs. I know a lot of people love Fantastic Mr. Fox as their kind of go-to animated Wes Anderson film, but I really liked just kind of how how dark that film went, and especially for Wes Anderson. While he does kind of get into some mature themes, this was a little darker than I thought he went with some of his other even live-action films, and I thought the voice acting was on point with this film. I really enjoyed Isle of Dogs. Any thoughts? This one was not on your list, so any any thoughts on Isle of Dogs? enjoyed it i did um i've only seen it once i haven't revisited it so um i probably would like to like to give it another uh, fair shake i did rewatch some of my like the ones i'd rewatched the most when i was coming up with my list and um i didn't get a chance to to rewatch that one but i did enjoy that and i liked brian cranston in that film was probably my favorite part of it for sure i agree i agree with you definitely there Uh, my second favorite is moonrise kingdom I think just a, a great, sweet coming-of-age story. You definitely get that real heavy sense of Wes Anderson in there, um, where something like the Royal Tenenbaums, you don't have kind of the like that cutout imagery in some of it. This really hits at home. But, of course, I think a lot of people will say the same thing. The Grand Budapest Hotel is 
far and away my favorite. I think it's far and away the best Wes Anderson film. Uh, the performances by Ray Fiennes, uh, Tony Revolori, Tilda Swinton, so on and so forth, are are top notch. Such a wonderful story. It's really him at his peak. And I, I hope we still get great movies from him. But for me, it's going to be hard to surpass Grand Budapest Hotel. On my list of just favorite films of all time, it's in my top 20. Like There's just something about this film that really hits the nail on the head. And I will watch it over and over again throughout my lifetime. I agree. It's just the passage of time, like the way he handles the passage of time in that film, I think is like, it's just a master, like a masterpiece on how you see time go. It's just the way it captures like every little like era of this character's life. It, I really enjoyed it. 100%. But speaking of time, I really do not want to delay. The people here listening are here for one thing, who our cast lists are for a Wes Anderson directed Fantastic Four film. So Kaylee, I'm gonna do some, something a little different this week and maybe going forward, rather than going character by character and alternating our picks, I want you to go through your cast list for a Wes Anderson directed Fantastic Four film all the way through. We'll go through your list, then we'll go through mine and throughout it, feel free to discuss. And with that said, who's your Mr. Fantastic? Well, you know, I really felt long and hard about this. And, you know, it was really hard in general to come up with a list because there's a lot of people in his films that are in the MCU already. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and so that was, that was a challenge. So I will say that I, I kind of cheated a little bit and I picked it. Well, I, really, I guess it's not really cheating, but I picked an actor who is in an upcoming Wes Anderson film. I picked sure. Matt Dillon. And nice. Matt Dillon nice. is probably, yeah, I think that, I mean, I know he's a little bit older now, but, uh, okay. you know, I, the, for me, you know, his performance in The Outsiders is probably one of my favorite performances of all time. Just like he has this coolness about him. And then I just feel like in, in like films, like I always think about in, in and out too, where he plays mm -hmm. like the movie star. I yeah. just like, he has this charisma about him, but then I also buy him being kind of this nerdier type of a person who could be a scientist. I don't know. I just, he has that, like, I don't know. I just, I thought about it and I really could see him in that role. And I yeah. think he could yeah. bring a quirkiness to it that I think would work in like a Wes Anderson directed Fantastic Four film. So. I mean, and that's the thing about this experiment we're doing. It's easy to, just look at an actor and say, oh, they can do this or they can't do that. But you also have to look at it through the lens of the director you're using. With someone like Matt Dillon, who has a very distinct kind of voice and tenor about him, I think that definitely is something that Wes Anderson could exploit with a Mr. Fantastic. So I think that's a really interesting choice. Now, what about your Sue Storm? So I also kind of went back and forth on this one too. And I ultimately landed with uh, Leah Sadu. Um, awesome. I remember the first time I saw her, I think was probably in Blue is the Warmest Color. I think it's probably the yeah. first thing I did see her in. Fantastic um, and then, And then, of course, yeah, and then, of course, in uh, her, her in the Bond films is great. Um, you know, the thing is, she plays, she plays a very small part, you know, in the Grand Budapest Hotel as that, like, as the maid. But right. I think she's so, like, she's so just sweet and cute in that like little like I don't know just I, I even in that small role you'd notice her like you don't like I feel like sometimes the background characters you maybe don't notice as well but you do like she kind of stands out a little bit in that in that scene when they're at the you know at the house and 
her in the French Dispatch was probably one of my favorite parts of that movie. <laughs> I mean, she was phenomenal in that movie. I just really, I loved that part. She is such an expressive actress. She does a lot with with her facial expressions and maybe not as much with her words. And ironically, for someone who's playing the invisible woman, I think she can really pull out what it takes to be a Sue Storm through through body language, through her expressions, and just to her top-notch acting. I think that's a great choice. What about her brother, Johnny Storm? So I, I went to one of my favorites. I went to Moonrise Kingdom on this one. And um, yeah, I picked, I picked what I picked Jared Gilman. And I've not really seen him anything besides Moonrise Kingdom. I really would like to see. I mean, he's not been in a ton of things. I know he was younger when he did that film. I think he was around like 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. Um, but now him being like in his 20s now, I just feel like, and then I looked at him and he, he looks, he looks kind of just the same, just a little bit older. Um, but I can just see them having this kind of relationship of being like, they're like siblings that have a little bit of an age gap and myself and my sister have an age gap so I think that it would be interesting to kind of see how that dynamic plays and I kind of put that into my pitch a little bit too I'm I'm interested to see because in Moonlight Moonrise Kingdom he was kind of shy kind of skitter skittish uh boy who's following this girl that he's interested in and it'll be a divergence going to this, this cocky hotshot of a character in Johnny Storm. Uh, and like you said, we haven't seen a lot from him, but he was certainly very good in Moon Eyes Kingdom. And if he does end up becoming a Wes Anderson staple down the line, like a lot of his actors do, then you know when you trust the director and the director trusts you as an actor, I think you can do a lot with that. So another, another inspired choice. I like it. Now, what about last, last but certainly not least of the main four, uh, hero teams. What about Ben Grimm? So I went with Ben Stiller on this one. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know, I just feel like I, I think with his comedy, I think that he could really have fun in this role. And you know, I, I kind of you know, picked people who I thought I could have fun with, you know, within this specific pitch. So uh, we'll see kind of how it plays out. I mean, I've like I said, I've, I've been a fan of Ben Stiller for a long time. You know, I mean, his his performance in the Royal Tenenbaums was probably one of my favorite performances of his. Meet the Parents is probably one of my other favorites. I've seen that movie a lot too. So So good. So good. No, um, I'm not going to comment too much on this choice uh, for reasons you may see later um, or hear later, excuse me. Uh, So, but I will say fantastic choice uh, in Ben Stiller as the thing. I see Pat making, mouthing the boop, 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 boop <laughs> sound here. <laughs> um, but okay, again, every hero team needs a villain. Uh, and I want to know who you've cast as as your Dr. Doom. If Wes can, excuse me, if Wes Anderson were behind the camera. So I felt like I needed some more female power of this cast. And so I, I went a little bit uh, gender bendy on this one. And I, I I picked my queen, Angelica Houston, probably one of my favorite actresses of all time. Fantastic choice. <laughs> I mean, she's so iconic. I mean, I can't. I mean, one of my favorite, I mean, I'm a, a child of the 90s. One movie that I've seen so many times is Ever After. Her portrayal of the evil stepmother and Ever After is probably one of my favorite like villain roles in general. But even just how iconic she is as Morticia, I mean, oh yeah, you can't go wrong with Adam's family. <laughs> I mean, 
the second movie alone, I mean, one of my favorite things about the second movie is just her like timing, but then the fact that they had the eye light on her the entire time. I just, like I said, I just love Angelica Houston. She could do no wrong. And I mean, I love her, her roles in Wes Anderson films. They're great. Um, but they're not the most iconic in my, in my opinion, but like I said, she can do no wrong in my book. <laughs> and, and that's the nice thing. They don't need to be the standout roles. They just need to have worked with the, the director and no, you're right. You've, she's got evil stepmother vibes written all over her and to see that play out in, uh, as Dr. Doom, I'm really interested to see how your pitch incorporates this. Uh, Angelica Houston, never a bad idea to cast her, whether it's James Bond, John Wick, The Addams Family, and so on and so forth. I could keep going. I mean, her filmography is extensive. I think that is a wonderful choice. So that has it for your list. Uh, now I'm going to go through mine. First and foremost, with Mr. Fantastic, I wanted to look for someone who one I haven't cast before. That's the big challenge that I face too, is not just casting someone who's worked with the director, but I'm really trying to mix it up with my castings from across the episodes. I know at some point there's going to be some crossover, but one actor really stood out that, to be quite honest, I don't see ever being in the MCU. I could be proven wrong, but for now, it doesn't seem like his bag. Maybe if Wes Anderson asks, he could especially with the movie I'm pitching. For my Ree Richards, I've cast the one and only George Clooney. When you look at George Clooney, you see intelligent, you see suave, you see focused. I mean, he was Batman. I mean, we're not going to talk about Batman and Robin here, but if he can be Bruce Wayne, I think he could easily be Reed Richards in a Wes Anderson film. He's got the wit, the humor. He is all the staples of what Wes Anderson looks for in his characters so that is why I have chosen the George Clooney as my Mr. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I mean, that's Danny Ocean right there. You can't go wrong. <laughs> that too. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot that. And you've seen George show up in a lot of Coen Brothers movies. I think it would be a very similar archetype to the characters he played in there. I think there's a lot of parallels between some of the stuff Wes Anderson does and some of the stuff the Coens do. So it's, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for him. As for my Sue Storm, I went back to the well as far as Wes Anderson. And my Sue Storm might be a surprise. You will see. It will make sense with my pitch. Is the reigning best actress, Frances McDormand. She's going to be my Sue Storm. Hold your concerns, listeners. I know she is an older actress. She could certainly act across from George Clooney. But you will see when it comes to my pitch why this is a good pick. And honestly, screw you if you don't like it casting Frances McDormand in anything is a good choice. So uh, as for- I was going to say, no worries for me. <laughs> great, great. I'm glad you're on board. <laughs> but, and I don't see any scoffing from Pat. So I feel, I feel good. <laughs> um, but, you know, now looking at my Johnny Storm, Wes Anderson uses a lot of the same actors. And that's something I really wanted to hit home with this film. So for this, I'm going to use an actor who's been either been in or written at least 90% of the Wes Anderson films. My Johnny Storm is going to be Jason Schwartzman. He's got the temperament, the comedy, the ability to play off of all the characters. And again, he is a Wes Anderson staple. He is my Johnny Storm. I hope you all are going to bear with me. I know I've had some crazy pitches in the past. This one's probably actually going to be tamer than you really think it is. So 
bear with me. Jason Schwartzman is my Johnny Storm. Kaylee, any thoughts on that? Well, I'm just th- I'm thinking that I really think that's an interesting uh, look at maybe what the dynamic between uh, Francis and Jason is, because I, I can see that being a really cool dynamic. It's awesome. like a sibling. If they are siblings, I'm not sure what your pitch is, but if they're siblings, I think that could be a cool <laughs> dynamic that yeah, yes, they hasn't are. really been explored before. Yes, definitely siblings in this movie. Um, and no, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think them as siblings, and especially probably with some age gap, like like in your your scenario, I think is definitely a possibility. Um, last but not least, when it comes to the main team, is our Ben Grimm, is our The Thing. And I believe this is our fir- the first crossover I've ever had so far in these four episodes with a guest. I have also cast Ben Stiller as The Thing. One thing that's really great about Ben Stiller that you've seen in the Royal Tenenbaums and a lot of his other films is that he has the comedy, but he also can knock out the dramatic roles. And he also has this anger that just his, a lot of his characters just hold inside of him that is quintessential Ben Grimm. And one thing I really do try and do with all of these casting too is cast a Jewish actor or at least someone who's historically played a Jewish character for Ben Grimm, a historically Jewish character. And Ben Stiller is that as well. When you look at his whole filmography, he he can do the heart. He can do the kind of inner sadness along with the anger, the fighting and whatnot. And again, you will have CGI or some sort of effect cover up the fact that he's not this muscly Michael Chiklis type. So that is why I went with Ben Stiller as the thing. Kaylee, you have to like you cast you. I mean, you cast him as in yours as well. So, uh, I know you're going to say lots of nice things about this. Of course. I mean, it's the it's the first one I thought of, honestly. When I was yeah. thinking of the cast, the first person, I was like, it's, well, Ben Stiller's got to be Ben Grimm. I mean, that's just the first thing I thought of. I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, like I said, one thing I really try and do is not do crossover with my guests, at least to a large degree. So I had no problem this being the first time I've had a similar casting as a guest of mine. And then certainly no one's going to forget Dr. Doom. This one, I hope people get excited about. Again, this movie's not happening. So, you know, we can always dream. We can always live in some multiverse where this happens. But my Dr. Doom, this actor was in the Royal Tenenbaums. Somehow in this film, Wes Anderson is going to convince the great Gene Hackman to come out of retirement and be Dr. Doom. Gene Hackman, the man, unforgiven, the Royal Tenenbaums, Runaway Jury. Don't know why that's the one I thought of, but that's the film I thought of. Gene Hackman's going to come out of retirement and be Wes Anderson's Dr. Doom. Great choice. Excellent choice. Well, thank you. I mean, we've seen him be a villain before. I've been Gene Hackman. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Unfortunately, Welcome to Mooseport uh, made him quit acting. And as much as everybody loves Raymond, I love Raymond. Unfortunately, it's his fault that Gene Hackman quit acting. Maybe this is the motivation to be part of some Marvel movie that's directed by Wes Anderson to get Gene Hackman, who's played a great villain throughout history, to come back and be the definitive Doctor Doom. There you have it. Those are our casts. I think both fantastic casts. If I do say so myself, I mean, despite any inherent bias I may have, I'm excited to see where these go. And without further ado, these casts need to be in a movie. So Kaylee, I have two questions before you pitch your film. First, 
is your movie an origin film? Yes, it is, sort of, kind of, yeah. Second question, is it part of the MCU? It is not. That's awesome. I think that gives you a little more flexibility in the world. So without any more to say, Kaylee, please pitch us your Fantastic Four film directed by Wes Anderson. Gladly. So I, you know, I think one of the things that makes Wes Anderson very unique is his his approach to storytelling and the way that he really tells things kind of like chapters in a book and, and within these kind of vignettes. So what I wanted to do is kind of focus this story in kind of chapters that would um, give kind of, I guess, like a uh, focus to each individual character. And everything's a little bit different in my in my world because... Uh, in this world, you know, I thought about it. I was like, I, would Wes Anderson do like a superhero movie where they actually have superpowers? I don't know. So what I did was I imagined a world where the the four, the Fantastic Four don't necessarily have powers, but they might have something that like alludes to their powers. And so um, kind of like, I'll, I'll kind of give you a little bit of a breakdown, like kind of like chapter for chapter. So in chapter one, we meet Reed. And Reed is a high school chemistry teacher. And uh, he hasn't really necessarily lived up to his potential. Like, he's a very smart person. But he was kind of bullied in high school, didn't have a lot of confidence. And so where he probably didn't, you know, go as far as he could in his education and, you know, maybe as, you know, achieve everything, he kind of, you know, decided to become a high school chemistry teacher. But he still loves to, you know, kind of, do experiments in his like own little laboratory in his apartment and um but he's lonely and he he all of a sudden starts kind of getting these gifts that are left on his doormat um and they're actually like paintings and there are these paintings that are uh the silhouette of like of a, a like a ne- almost like a silhouette a negative like space silhouette of this woman on these various backgrounds and they're all assigned the invisible woman and so he's getting these like paintings and he's kind of started this uh gallery so to speak behind you in his house and he starts to kind of add them as as they get as they get left on his doormat and he's really wondering who this invisible woman is and he's telling it to his friend his buddy ben who happens to be the handyman of the apartment building and so that's kind of like the first kind of chapter focusing on his background um, the second chapter is focused on Sue, and his, Sue has inherited this apartment in, uh, from her grandmother who died, and she uh, has moved in to her grandmother's old apartment, and she is uh, actually like a school psychologist slash guidance counselor, um, but she feels like a little bit of an imposter because, you know, here she is doing this thing that, you know, she, you know, she has a profession, but it's not necessarily what she wants to do, so she kind of feels unseen in her own world so you see her kind of in her little studio that she's created for herself and um in the in the spare room of the apartment and she's working on these paintings and they're paintings of her and she's signing them the invisible woman and so you see that she actually had been noticing mr richards who was the chemistry teacher at the high school where she teaches and she has decided to kind of leave these paintings on his his doormat so that's kind of like our introduction chapter about Sue and where, like, you know, where she's coming from. Well, Sue has a little bit of a, uh, 
a, a surprise because in chapter three, her uh, 20-something-year-old brother who is in culinary school and wants to be a chef has moved in with her to their grandmother's apartment um, because he accidentally burned down his uh, uh, dorms, like his, like, well, his, like, the apartment that he was sharing with his roommates in college. He accidentally, you know, burnt their they're where they were living down and they are not friends with him anymore and he didn't really have anywhere else to go so he's moved in with his sister and um he wants to be a chef unfortunately he's accident prone as we can see um so he's trying to like you know even though she reluctantly lets him live with her he's trying to, to make it up to her and so he's decided he's going to cook them dinner and unfortunately history repeats itself and he accidentally starts a fire in the building <laughs> and that's kind of how like the, th the third chapter ends um yeah and so Chapter four um, kind of focuses more on Ben. Now, Ben is this this person who is kind of felt like a little bit of a failure in his life. You know, he hasn't necessarily, you know, didn't have a great childhood. You know, he um, didn't have a lot. You know, he he wanted to be a pilot. He dreamed of being a pilot as a kid, and he didn't necessarily live up to that. And he actually got injured too, so he wasn't able to kind of fulfill his dreams of being a pilot. Um, but he's kind of become this handyman slash like superintendent of this apartment building. Um, and so what he does is he tries to like kind of dream up scenarios that make his mundane life of being a handyman in an apartment building interesting. And so I think it'd be kind of fun to see almost like a a dreamlike kind of montage of like him going to these different apartments and doing different things, but then kind of like seeing what, you know, his, his vision of it could be. And this is where I think you could have a lot of fun with like the, you know, the different styles of Wes Anderson, whether it be like, you know, animation or like stop motion or anything like that. I think it could be fun to see that play out differently. And so in chapter five, we meet this, we meet this new character. Okay. He's a little bit, he's outside of the, the main characters. His name is Stanley and he is, uh, he's unfortunately just recently been orphaned and he's had to move in with his great aunt Victoria and her apartment building smells like mothballs. And for some reason, she has an unhealthy amount of taxidermy animals that are like in, throughout her apartment. And he's just terrified that like whenever he sleeps at night, that one of these animals is going to kill him in his sleep. And so he, it's just really just, it, we, he lost his parents. He's really sad. And he's having to live with this like mean old lady and her taxidermed animals. And so he kind of has this flashback to what his childhood was like before his parents died. And you notice that his dad would take him to the comic book store and he just loved to read like comic books. And so he starts like kind of like spying on his neighbors and he's, he's starting to kind of like doodle his own little comic books of what it would be like, you know, if his neighbors were actually comic book characters. In the sixth chapter, we meet Mrs. Von Doom, and she has this cranky old lady who is, lives in this building, of course, and she was once the chief preparator at this natural history museum, and, you know, she was, you know, with taxiderm animals, and, you know, she was, like, you know, this that's just what her job was and so that's why she has all these taxidermy animals in her in her apartment building now unfortunately she felt like obligated to take in her great nephew uh stanley because he had nowhere else to go so here he here he is living in her house she has not dealt with kids at all i mean she is the quintessential like 
old maid spinster lady who was worked at a museum and now she's having to take care of a child and she is also like the president of like the residential committee at this apartment building and everybody hates her because everybody always hates the president of those types of committees because they just don't have anything else better to do besides complain about their neighbors and everything like that um of course she is also very much um perturbed when one of the neighbors sets fire to the building by you know cooking dinner so she has decided to kind of take her anger out on stanley that she had to like you know move out of their apartment for a while while they get like you know repair done to the apartment because it caught fire so that's kind of like how we meet mrs von doom and so in the finale of it all what we get is this kind of recreated animated comic book of stanley and his fantastic four of which he's cast these characters that he's been spying on his apartment building so we we see you know mr richards's chemistry teacher become mr fantastic and we see you know sue storm the guidance counselor become the invisible woman and we see uh you know the young chef johnny become uh, the torch and human torch and then we see you know of course the handyman in the building become the thing and so it, it it becomes this kind of cast that he's created in his his story of these people that he knows and then of course he's cast his own great aunt as uh the villain dr doom so that's kind of how i see it kind of unfolding i think it could be fun to see it through the eyes of a child and i think wes anderson does that well so i just i thought that would be a fun way to look at it so that's my pitch you you all can't see it i have the biggest stupid smile on my face I love that. That was so charming and totally Wes Anderson. I, I could see that happen. I mean, if this ever happened, that is totally how Wes Anderson would do a Fantastic Four movie. I, I commend you. That was wonderful. I I, I don't know yeah. how, if I have more to say. Like that, I I my pitch is not that good. I I so Pat, I, I want to get Pat in here. Pat, you're you're our you're our expert. What are your thoughts on this film? That was that was that was great. That was really you wanted to say fantastic, didn't you? I did want to. I, I literally <laughs> I to before I say, um, I was gonna say fantastic, but no, it 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 was such a pleasure to listen to. Like it was, it's so well thought out, so well plotted. Just the way that the chapters interconnect, and uh, the way that you are able to make all of these people kind of resemble their comic book selves uh but take them as regular people uh the homage to stan lee as someone who loves stan lee as a writer and as a person i i really appreciated that um i thought the whole thing was great i i, I really did enjoy it it, it was you quite, can say it quite a you can say fantastic it was fantastic. you can speak it was so <laughs> fantastic <laughs> I got him. Well, thank you. You know, I felt I felt like I had really big shoes to fill. You had me come on after Jack, and I was just like, "This dude's a professional. What are you doing to me here?" I don't. I mean, to be fair, I don't think anyone is going to do what Jack did on the show. So no. don't don't try and feel like you need to live up to that. But you, for what we asked you to do, that was freaking great. And I'm afraid oh, to say you. mine now because this is the problem with me going second. All of my guests <laughs> have these great things and mine do not live up to it. Mine are just off the walls dumb and I, I love them, but 
that is why we have the guests go first to hype them up. And hopefully by the time the listeners are tired of us, they have heard the good pitch and are in a fever dream listening to mine. But with that said, I will get into my pitch with George Clooney, Francis McDormand, Jason Schwartzman, Ben Stiller, and Gene Hackman in these roles. My film is not an origin film. It is also not part of the MCU, but it is stop motion. We are doing an animated Fantastic Four film called The Fantastic Mr. Fantastic. Nothing? Crickets. Love it. Love I'm it. Expecting, I'm expecting <laughs> crickets now that, that Pat going to plug in after that title. <laughs> I see his Steve wanting to leave his ears. <laughs> A fantastic Mr. Fantastic. I am certainly not going to go into nearly as much detail as our guest Kaylee did, but I will give you the outline of this. I did all take a similar approach, actually, kind of the vignette style. Um, but in this film, it is a little more superhero-y than the route Kaylee went. Um, in, this, in this film, again, the fantastic Mr. Fantastic, for all of you who did not catch that the third or fourth time, um, the main villain is actually going to be, a, I wouldn't say a traditional Fantastic Four villain, but a, certainly a traditional Marvel villain that we have not yet seen in the MCU, and that is Arcade. And Arcade will be voiced by the Wes Anderson staple, the one who is near and dear to our hearts, Bill Murray. Bill Murray will be voicing Arcade in this film. In this film, I, I kind of envision all the Fantastic Four members a little older, like not quite retired yet, but they're like, okay, we'll let the younger generation do all the heroing. But Arcade escaped from whatever prison he was in, and he's like, screw you, Fantastic Four, I'm going to mess with you. So he sneaks into some lab that Dr. Doom has, played by Gene Hackman, and he's like, I'm going to steal this miniaturization technology. So Arcade takes this miniaturization technology and shrinks down the Fantastic Four, and he puts them in this death maze that he has concocted from way back when. And each kind of vignette is the Fantastic Four going through their own kind of horror nightmare game scenario. Again, and remember, this is all stop motion. So like I envision Mr. Fantastic going through some death maze, uh, maybe Sue Storm playing some version of laser tag, Johnny Storm in either like some weird robotic freeze tag game or the floor is lava, and Ben Grimm in some nightmare croquet game where he has to punch their croquet balls without getting crushed by them. Eventually, the film ends where Dr. Doom, old crotchety Gene Hackman comes in, bops Arcade on the head and says, this is my stuff, stop it turns it on because he's all old and tired from being a supervillain and they come back. That is my pitch because I did not want to overshadow Kaylee's, but again, stop motion, wanted to go a little different route as far as the style, but not quite the uh, execution or the execution, but I mean, not quite the same storytelling elements, but that is my pitch. And I wanted to save you all after seeing Pat's face almost explode with the title with a shorter pitch. Pat, thoughts on my pitch? Dude, compared to that last one, pretty basic. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's good. I, I like I liked it. You should have won first. 
You should, <laughs> That's right. You should have definitely went for it. I know the thing is, I know, I know the cast lists beforehand. I do not know the movie pitches. So that is the risk I run. Like, man. But I mean, is it still better than uh, having the Shyamalan universe tie into the MCU? Absolutely. Anything is better than that. <laughs> this is leagues above the, the last, the last, uh, the last episode. I just, yeah, I'm still here. So that's a good sign. I'm glad you didn't leave. <laughs> but like I said, kept it short and sweet. Because uh, really, I I didn't want to expand on too much more than that because it was pretty simple. I, a lot of Wes Anderson's animation, I do think, is a little more simplistic, little maybe a little more kid friendly than some of the other ones. Still, still touching on some mature themes, but I really wanted this to be um, a reverence of the, the stop motion style more so than the story and the vo- and highlight the voice acting and the talent that he has worked with before. So I, that's why I personally didn't go heavily into the story details and more just the overall um, thought of it, because I still think in and of itself it is very Wes Anderson where I'm going. Granted, again, Kaylee knocked it out of the park like all my guests have. So again, kudos to her, but that is my pitch. Kaylee, we heard Pat's thoughts. I am curious on your thoughts of my, you know, movie that will never happen. So what do you think? No, I loved it. Um, is So I did have a question. Are the, are the, the actual characters in the stop uh, motion, are they older? too as as yes. are they as older like as their as, as their uh voice actors are similar i mean enough that it would make sense for the general um age appropriateness of his the characters historically um so yeah yes they would be a little older not not elderly not retired per se but like more okay we'll let like i said we'll let the younger folks do all the tougher stuff and if you really need us we'll be there was kind of the thought no, I like it. I think that your pitch, like, and and the um the actual like elements of the pitch would work well with the stop motion uh format for sure. Yeah, that that was really my goal because of the whole kind of arcade style, like the the death games. I thought that would look really cool in the stop motion animated style that he's implemented before. And to be fair, it, a lot of it really stemmed from the title. Pat's camera is shaking. I don't know if that's just him causing an earthquake in his room. I'm just, I'm afraid for all the stuff he has there just crumbling down upon him. So I, I before, before that happens, I think we do end it there. That is our castings. That is our pitches for if Wes Anderson did direct a Marvel film. We hope you, the listeners, enjoyed our exploration into this what-if scenario with all the quirkiness, puns, dry humor aside. I had a blast. Kaylee, I hope you had a blast. I did. I hope you had me back. I would love to come back. Yes, certainly. I mean, like I said, my hope is that everyone who's been on here, once I get through as many people who want to be on, we can do a second round. Um, I do want to make a special note now that the Fancast of Four podcast is hosted for free on Anchor, and we encourage you, if you have your own podcast idea, to check out Anchor. It is a great resource for getting your idea off the ground. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, uh, and Spotify as well. 
If you are listening on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate you hitting that subscribe button and commenting with who your Wes Anderson fan cast would be um, on what your thoughts about our lists are, what your thoughts on our pitches are, and what director you would like us to do next. Finally, I want to thank our producer, Pat Wolfamonte, for his hard work. I want to thank Matt Hart and Maddie Gunner for the fantastic theme music they created for us. And with that, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Dan Bettenhausen. On behalf of my guest, Kaylee Vaughn, I hope you all have a fantastic day.